Good evening. Um, it is indeed a great honour to appear with a man like Spike Milligan. I'm standing outside the wonderful new Grenadier Guard Soldier Armour Massage and Sauna Club. Good evening. I'm now standing inside the Soldier Armour Massage and Nafi Club. Who wrote this crap? Cigarettes, magic, startled. Hello, Parky. Hello, Sarah. Don't get me wrong. You know who I am, don't you? No. Dave Lodge. I was in Cockershell Hero. <laughs> to Goompod, doing pods work. Uh, last week, my guest Adam Leslie and I started an examination of Spike Milligan's Q series on television, from Q5 to Q9, and we called it an A to Z of Q. Snappy title. Um, we've already covered A to N, that's appliances to newsreader Spike, and if you haven't heard that episode yet, please stop listening to this and go back and check it out. If you have, settle back and enjoy part two of an A to Z of Q. Okay, O is for oversized clothes and costumes. Mm. There's often characters like wearing hats which are just a size too big, or maybe several sizes too big, like Spike's scout leader hat in the Q8 sketch. Yes. Um, and obviously you've got, famously you've got clothes and props with BBC costume or prop department tags left on. Um, yes, I like that. I like the running... Yeah. The little running costume gags. Um, you got the l- large fake noses. We, we didn't actually see many of those in the shows that we watched. Mm, we? That's a that's a thing that Python picked up on, I think, because there's um, Raymond Luxury Yatched. Oh, yes. Has, has the, uh, oh, the, yes. The mangrove has the big detachable polystyrene nose. But having said that, I don't know if the noses occur in Q5, so you could argue that Spike pinched that from Python. He might well have done, mightn't he? Hmm. But it's certainly a Spike staple from that point on, I think. Yeah. Okay, P is for police stroke law and order. Mm-hmm. Policemen proliferate the Q they series. They do. There's, there's the running gag of him doing the, the, the police knees bend and it hurting his groin. Yes, yes. This happens... You've... It happens almost a decade apart, I think. I think it happens in Q5 and then Q8 or something like that. It's still, he's, he's sticking with the gag, but I yeah, I quite enjoy that. <laughs> You've got... I, I love the ma- um, magic carpet sketch from Q9 with yes. uh, Bob Todd and Spike as the policeman. There's some lovely comedy business going on in that. Mm, and Spike's just... He's, he's wearing... His upper half is a policeman and he's just wearing his normal flares and shoes otherwise <laughs> there's um there's a which sketch was it was it the bermuda triangle sketch where spike is a police constable and his radio on his sort of lapel was just a matchbox oh, yes <laughs> and of course spike does like any opportunity to dress up as a high court judge mm-hmm. we have in q5 um 
the common cold has been criminalized so anyone that's got a cold is up in front of the beak and you've got um morris groins morris groins yes i wrote that down um other other names that come up in that sketch are jim flug arthur needs tom things <laughs> and mrs scrackle um, <laughs> and of course um dave lodge is wearing the stripy jumper and and uh, mask as a burglar uh, more than one occasion um he obviously in jehovah's burglars and also in the q900 meters chase the burglar contest Yes, he sketch. has that look about him, doesn't he? He has that yeah. old-fashioned burglar face and build. <laughs> he looks like a wronging. The little yeah. moustache, yeah. Yeah, I wrote down about... I think that the courtroom sketch had a lot of strong jokes, but it seemed under-rehearsed. Under they were umming and erring a lot, and it didn't get the gag. It didn't get mm. the laughs. That mm. I think I think they they didn't quite have it down, so a lot of the jokes, which I thought were... Some of them were quite good, but they didn't get the laughs. It had the old Davy Jones line, please stand. I am standing. <laughs> and stand on someone else. I didn't get that. But um, it's, not, it's not exactly goon vintage, that. But No. Nah. Um, oh, yeah, the judge sneezes to bits, which is slightly ghoulish. I like oh, yes. that. Yes, I love that. The, 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 it, Spike, Spike does like a prosthetic leg, doesn't yes. he? <laughs> <laughs> I like it when it just slips into nightmarishness. I like any comedy that slips into nightmarishness. I think one of the most famous ones is the uh, Reeves and Mortimer MasterChef sketch, which is oh, the most yeah. frightening yeah. things that's been oh. shown on television and very funny. But yeah, any time that this kind of comedy just just tips, just tips into being really odd in a dark way, I like. And for me, the, the judge sneezing himself to pieces. Because <laughs> his, his um, wig comes off and he's completely bald and yeah, he just seems to dis disintegrate from sneezing. But again, the bald wig is inelegantly placed on his head, so it's just you can just <laughs> tell it's you know there's, there's no attempt to make it look genuine. Mm. Cheap, cheap is the word I would. Cheap, use. yes, it's cheap and cheerful. Mm. So Q, what could Q be for? Oh my goodness, yeah, uh, the whole series. Quite Let's talk funny. about the whole series again. Yes. Uh, no, no, it's Queen stroke Royal Family. Oh, yes. Another favourite of yep. Spike. I think any authority figure really is... is um... Fair game. Fair yeah. game, yes. Um, do we Is Jeanette Charles still with us, do we know? You know, I meant to look that up the other day and I, I didn't. I think she might be, though. I think she might be. Do you, do you not think she retired to the library with a service revolver when the Queen died last year? Are you allowed her, to say that? Let's have a look. Jeanette. <laughs> Charles. Uh, she's a retired British actress. Oh, that's quite poignant, the fact that she's uh, retired. Yeah, she's 95. Blimey. Okay. Yeah. Well, we see her shooting John Bluthal on the head. <laughs> we do, yes. As the Queen, of course. Um, we've mentioned the Royal Windsor Scout Troop sketch, of course, and um, the Royal Guardsman sketch with a mm. few Prince Philip quips. Yes. Uh, but uh, the Queen... In fact, there's an episode of Q where Spike and Dave Bluefall are dressed up as queens. Not those sort of queens, but, you know. As actual queens. Oh, yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me. I think they'd, yes. they'd be good at that. Yeah. Okay. Um, R is for religion. Again, not so much in the episodes we watch, but religion sort of is, is sort of uh, 
runs through the Q series like a stick of rock. You know, we references... did have the um, sketch, which is basically a silly, just a silly gag rather than really actually anything about anything. But the one where they, uh, the hymn numbers are also the dish numbers in a Chinese takeaway. Yeah. Um, which is quite like, I mean, anything involving any kind of other other race in Spike Milligan stuff, you're sort of holding your breath. But as an idea, it's quite a neat little idea. Yeah. That was early uh, on. That was Q5, wasn't it? I think, I think that was Q5, yeah. So they're yeah. singing a hit. Is it right? Because it, it, it feels like a long time ago now, Q5. Um, but I think, are they singing a hymn, but but the lyrics are the dish? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, sweet and sour lobster balls or something. Something like that, isn't it? Yeah. And I thought that was quite a neat idea. Yeah. And at least the guy playing the vicar was actually East Asian. Unlike the vicar in the Q8 sketch where Bob Todd's a blackface vicar. Yes. That's a... Um, yeah. yeah. Is, is that the one where he's he's doing it... He's playing it German at first. And then he's doing it. I don't know what you, how you describe it. That sort of doodah voice. Mm. Yeah, it, it, they almost got away with. I mean, getting away with it. I mean, they didn't almost get away with it because you like it's blackface. But it almost sort of worked with the doing it with the German voice because it was such a jarring juxtaposition that yeah. it almost just made it outright surreal rather than anything offensive but then they just had to point the thing out and spike saying to the audience his his voice is wrong like isn't that wrong ladies and gentlemen so then he has to cycle through the accents until he gets to the inverted commas right accent which is some grotesque parody yeah, yeah. Uh, so then it just becomes completely um irredeemable often blackface is employed for no there's never a good reason for it or a mm. necessity for it you know not that yes. there should be a necessity at all for blackface, but you could almost give them a pass if it was a, a sketch about, for example, the black and white minstrels specifically, like mm. in that goodies episode, you know? Yes. Um, whereas it's just it's just random. It's just arbitrary. I, th I think it's I think Spike has his stock random cultural references. So that, yeah, like so occasionally people will be in a kilt. At random. Yeah. I enjoyed the policeman in a kilt in the um, courtroom sketch. Oh, yeah. John Wells. Yes, mm. that's right. He, he appears with his kilt on. So I think he has these things that he likes to impose upon, you know, randomly for texture. I think it's sort of, it's the it's spike world texture. Yes. Um, but just that particular thing hasn't, hasn't weathered. No. I mean, I don't, I mean, obviously, say it hasn't weathered. It was, it was never acceptable, but... It's one of those things that you you didn't really bat an eye, or a lot of people didn't bat an eyelid at at the time. No, that's right. That's it. It was, it was considered just commonplace. Of course, it mm. was. Um, okay, so S is for Shand Neil Neil Shand. Yes. Um, so in nineteen sixty eight, Spike had made the World of Beachcomber television series for the BBC, and although it didn't get a huge audience, it was very well, you know, warmly received by, by critics and whatnot. Um, and someone who'd written for the Beachcomber series uh, was a young man called Neil Shand. Uh, and one day he gets a phone call from Norma Farns, Spike's agent, asking if he'd like to collaborate with Spike on this new comedy series. 
And so he not only wrote uh, for Q5, but he also appeared in some sketches, notably the, the customs officer sketch. Right, anything to care, sir? No! Suitcase open, please. Why? You did read the notice. Of course I read the notice. Okay. I read the notice! <laughs> open the suitcase, please. Why? I want to see what's inside. I can tell you what's inside. World War II. <laughs> you did read the notice. Of course I read the notice. You held it up. Have you got a bad memory? No, sir. Have you got a bad memory? A bad memory! <laughs> World War II. <laughs> open the suitcase, please. I told you what's inside. World War II. If you don't open the suitcase, sir, I'm afraid we shall have to force you to open it. What? What? What's the matter, Scramson? What's the matter, Scramson? He won't open the suitcase, sir. Oh, double the face. Has he read the notice? He's read the notice, sir. And it says nothing about World War II. No, it doesn't, sir. Would you open the case, please? Right. World War II is gone. <laughs> it's gone. gone. It was there, I tell you. Gone, I said. Yes, it's gone. World War II is there. Gone. Must have been an armistice. <laughs> and he'd also write for, go on to write for Jasper Carrot. Jim Davidson, Bob Monkhouse, Paul Squires, Les Dennis, Russ Abbott, and so on and so on. So Neil Shand, yeah, I mean, he acquits himself reasonably well in the sketch that we saw as the customs officer. Mm. It'd be interesting to know what he wrote, which bits he was responsible for, whether he was enough of a... Because it sounds like he wrote for quite a lot of different types of people, so he might have been sufficient of a chameleon that he could slot into any in, into the house style on any show and just, just contribute. Mm or whether he actually brought a particular thing. Uh, Spike, obviously, on screen, credits him with the boob gags. Yeah, maybe. Maybe maybe, maybe, maybe he was like some of Spike's collaborators, like John Antrobus, even Larry, you know, aping Spike's style mm. to, a, to a degree. Which I think is is Spike's style. Spike's... I can't say that. Spike's, Spike's style is so distinctive that I think <laughs> it would yeah. be... For you know, for a, a professional comedy writer, it would be quite easy to do because he does have all these preoccupations and he has the those styles of wordplay of of taking the thing, the normal thing that someone says and then giving a different reply to like you know they're pulling up outside. What are they pulling up outside? Mm. The mm. aforementioned you rang, no you twit, that was the bell, and those sorts <laughs> of just just picking up on the those mundane things and turning them into a joke. Yes, unfortunately, I, I was unable to find too much about his contribution as as such. There's not there's not a lot out there really. Even in the the Milligan biographies, he's kind of a footnote mm. more than anything. He seems um, to be from quite a working class background as well, so it almost feels like Q is is the working class version of Python, or Python is the middle class version of Q. I think I know. I'd say Q is lower middle class. Would you Would you say? Yeah, it could be. I suppose. Yeah, I don't really know. Mm. Yeah. Okay, let's get on to T. Mm. T is for talcum powder in the hair. <laughs> <laughs> we've already We've already mentioned these. Mm-hmm. You have the the Reverend Franklin with a few calming words. Librium valium mother. <laughs> And, uh, and as a funny tale. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes. Which is a, a classic. Im- the bad impression of 
Patrick Moore. Not my yes. words. That this is how Spike describes his own impression of Patrick Moore. It's a bad impression <laughs> right. of Patrick Moore. Um, which leads nicely into U, and U stands for, and I and I wanted to talk about this category, and I didn't know what else to call it, really. Mm. Um, I've just called it ugliness and squalor. Yes. And what I mean by that is the, the implication that everything is rather kind of grotty or decaying or dusty or broken or mm. distressed or shabby, down at heel, abject. Yes, I'm, not, I'm just reading from glossy. a thesaurus now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like like the um, like in the uh, Attenborough sketch, um, there's locations in the Attenborough sketch that wouldn't have looked out of place in the bed sitting room film. No, I think he's filming on bomb sites, isn't he, for some of it? Mm. Yeah. Definitely. So, like, he when he's he's talking about the, the stairs that they go up, he's standing outside the house, but still gesturing to the stairs inside the house because the whole front of the house is missing. <laughs> so it's it's actual. Either they've been pulled, they're in the process of being pulled down, or he's on actual bomb sites from twenty years earlier. Yeah. Or but whatever it was math mathematics. There's never any. Yeah. There's there's, there's nev- never any anything elegant in Q, is there? Everything's no. Cheap, tatty, mm. shabby. Which probably Spike in 20 years' time then went on to go, oh, BBC, it's all cheap and rubbish. But actually, I think he liked it that way. I think that it, it's definitely part of his aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, sort of, I, I had a um, sort of a broader thought about the 1970s anyway, about how, particularly watching this, I think more the 1970s in Britain more than anything else, because uh, you and I are Columbo fans, Oh, yeah. Uh, so 1970s in America just seems like it doesn't seem that alien in the way that Britain in the 1970s seems quite alien to us. Where I don't know if I'll be able to dis- to, to convey this um, sufficiently, but if you look back to, say, the 1950s or 1960s, it seems like a long time ago, but you kind of get it. You kind of get what they're doing. And mm. same with the eighties and nineties, you kind of they, they dress a bit weird and the music's a bit weird, but you kind of get what they're doing. Mm. Then you're in Britain in the nineteen seventies, and they're listening to the Brotherhood of Man and these men with these these weird moustaches, and this this the wallpaper's gone all crazy, and <laughs> it seems like a whole seventy. I suppose the um, the most archetypal thing is Abigail's party, which is so seventies. It's almost like a parody of the seventies, but it's not. It's it's actually the seventies. But it's well, it, yeah. it feels alien. It's like I don't understand what these people are doing and what their interests are and why they're behaving like this. So I don't, you know, it feels like it's it's been totally removed. Like you, you could go straight from 1969 to 1980, but there's this big alien clump in the middle where everything went a bit wrong and fest. It got septic and fest and went all weird and became a bit delirious. Well, 1972 is. Brown and orange. Yes. I think much of the 70s is. Because like, if you watch something like, we'll get, we're getting a Beatles reference here as well. If you watch something like A Hard Day's Night and then watch one of those really grimy sex comedies from 10 years later. Not, 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 not that I would. No. I mean, one wouldn't. Obviously not. Not, not gentlemen no. like us. No. But um, it doesn't feel 10 years more modern. It feels just really dated and strange but doesn't really sit in the continuity of like yes culture yes. or or yeah. again watching um i know there's some digital 
cleaning up having gone on but watching the get back tv series of the beatles tv series you're spending time with these people and they just they could be yesterday like the way they look and the way they behave and talk to each other and absolutely the fashions generally feels very modern but if you look at like these weird people in there with their bizarre walrus moustaches and terrible hair and these horrible shirts and big ties they're wearing and their disgusting wallpaper and their weird all the weird racism and homophobia and stuff going on it's like what what happened and 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 the puddings and the puddings puddings 70s put yeah 70s they're, they're food like alien yeah life forms aren't they it really is and I think possibly because obviously you got the the swinging sixties when everything seemed optimistic, uh, and then kind of a bit of a crash in the seventies when everything seemed less optimistic. I think I wasn't. I mean, I was there for half of the seventies, but yeah, um, I don't remember enough of it uh, to really tell. But I think there's possibly that that, it, like I say, it's sort of the seventies is the sixties gone septic. Um, <laughs> but possibly you've also got. Because, I, like, I don't want to say... I'm not implying there was no racism and homophobia and all the rest of it in the 60s. There was, there was plenty. But I think the 50s and 60s, certainly in Britain, was too polite, generally, to say it. You know. Yeah, well, because late it, 60s into the 70s, everyone was letting it all hang out, weren't they? This is it. I think I think that the late 60s, from probably about 68, 69 through to the 80s, or if we are well into the 80s, but that's when all the inhibitions lifted but yeah. they hadn't but it hadn't matured out of just being horrible to people and being horrible to minorities and marginalized groups and saying all these things and yeah and everything's just i don't know everything's just a bit tobacco stained as yeah. well like in the 60s everyone's smoking like a chimney but it's like in the 70s you've got the all all the tar has seeped into the wallpaper from the whole previous decade of smoking so you were now in 1972 and it's <laughs> everything's brown from tobacco smoke and everything so it's, yeah i mean i don't well the pervade i would say i would say the pervading aroma of 1972 like you say is stale fags and coffee breath yes and stale beer that's been spilled on the carpet yeah but but i mean i think there's some you know, stuff in America that's, you know, is similarly grotty and vulgar. But you well, watch you... like a, a classic American thriller or stuff like Columbo and it seems, it doesn't seem quite as alien as some of the really shabby British stuff contemporary to it. Yeah, but you look at any American film set in New York, contemporary film set in the 70s New York, mm. the streets are just garbage oh, yeah. I tips, mean, aren't it... they? Certainly, yeah. Certainly, stuff like Taxi Driver or um, French Connection, which I watched not long ago. Again, it's certainly horrible and grimy and grotty and gritty, but it doesn't feel like it feels like it knows it is, or it feels like I don't. It's difficult to describe. Whereas I think the British stuff is kind of almost wallowing in it. <laughs> in a way that like the the American thrillers like Taxi Driver is, is commenting on it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas whereas it's something like Q is just having a great time wallowing in the filth. Uh. I mean like, like I say, I don't I, I'm not I'm not completely having a go at the seventies. Um 
it's like the, the aforementioned good life doesn't seem alien and weird that still seems fairly fresh and yeah, a lot of a lot of the music and things from the early 70s doesn't it hasn't gone full brotherhood of man quite yet um and i well, suppose america did also give us um manhattan transfer which i think is quite close to being the american mm. version of brotherhood of man so they're not totally immune to it to that did that sort of combination of griminess and chintzy kitschy tweeness summed up by yeah but but there was there was some great music in the 70s i mean yeah racy <laughs> i mean a lot of my favorite albums from this i'm not i'm not having a go super at the tramp. fully um i'm serious about super tramp actually oh, I, yeah, love super I, tramp. I like a bit of super tramp yeah a lot of my favorite a lot of my favorite i'm, I'm a big 60s 70s fan i i I, mm. I i do enjoy the yeah, it's not it's not necessarily a criticism of the seventies. I enjoy how how grotty it is a lot of the time. I enjoy watching the stuff, <laughs> listening to like the rock that came out of it. Not necessarily tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, but a lot of the actual good music I enjoy. Yeah, but I find it fascinating how it does. It seems like a little bit of a, a detour between the sixties and the eighties into this this weird kind of soupy, strange uh, Abigail's party universe. I think that's sort of yeah, that's the best way to sum it up. Is kind of Abigail's party people listen to Dem- Demis Demi Demis Russos or how you pronounce it. Like whether it, I don't, never quite sure whether it's Demis Russos, Demis De- Demis Russos, Demis yeah. Russos, yes, and Brotherhood of Man and all that kind. I of saw thing. A, I saw a photograph the other day of Demis Russos in bed with a beautiful naked lady, of course, and um, for a split second I thought it was Spud Gun from Bottom. Yes. Do you remember Spud Gun? I do. <laughs> Spud Gun and Hedgehog. Yeah. Hedgehog Dave, was it? I can't Dave Hedgehog and, Dave Hedgehog, and, that's right. and Spud Gun. Mm. Yeah. Um anyway, you've been listening to the Reef Lectures. Yes. I, I, I'm sorry to any like, I'm sorry to the nineteen seventies. I, I it was more an appreciative rant than anything. I enjoyed the I I do quite enjoy it at a distance. I love seventies films particularly. I mm. love it's my favourite decade for films. I, um, I really don't like the eighties well. particularly. I think my uh, least favourite films uh, decade for films is the nineties. Oh, is it really? Uh, yeah. yeah. No, eighties for me. Seventies. Mm. No, I love seventies films. Yes. Absolutely, all the live long day. Um, anywho, let's crack mm. on. Um, Sorry, I went the... off on one. I do apologise. That's all right. It was an interesting conversation. Um, v is for. <laughs> Sorry about this. Very catchy theme tune mm. and other music. I love the theme tune. Mm. Well, the theme tune, did we decide, I can't remember if we decided one way or the other, that it's George Martin playing the piano. Didn't George Martin produce the Q theme? Yeah, he did. I don't know if it is. It was an actual record. Quite possibly, George, of course, yeah. Um, Because it would fit, because he he likes the jangly piano. He did the jangly piano at the end of Tomorrow Never Knows. 
Yes, he did. Uh, and I think he would... It's certainly within his skill set and tastes to do that. And it's um, it's a very memorable theme tune. It does get slightly... You, you have variations of it mm. as, as the Q series progresses into the 70s. Um, and I've had a few guests who've said that they would like that played at their funeral. Yeah, I don't see why not. It's, a, it's like, I love it. Just as a standalone record outside of the... I like the comic timing on the buzzers that because they hesitate and it's like yeah. there's almost like grunts of hesitation. Yeah. It's like <laughs> buzz. And that always really just delights me. Top of my head, I think Paul Abbott, former guest, mm-hmm. has said he wants it as his funeral music. Um, if not, Paul, write in and tell me what you want played at your funeral instead. Um, and Mark Thomas, when Mark Thomas was on, I think he said he wanted oh. it. Huh. But no, very memorable. And then you have one of the kind of jarring things as, as we get into the 70s Q series is the musical numbers mm. with this strange looking man called Ed Welch. And I have a pee, please, Bob. Do you know why I said that? <laughs> Blockbusters. Yes. Welsh, I mostly know the name uh, from the Blockbusters theme tune and Nightmare, the ITV kids game show involving Dungeons and Dragons. He did the theme tune for that as well. Oh, okay. Mm. <laughs> well, he, he did. He collaborated with Spike quite a bit. And funny enough, so we watched these five random shows. But <laughs> two of them, they sing the same song. Yes. Uh, well, no, he, Ed sings it solo the first time. It's Silly Old Baboon, which is Spike's mm. poem set to music. And the second time, you've got Spike sat with him, and they're both <laughs> they're both wearing these <laughs> quite fetching apricot fruit salad design shirts. Dressed, yes, they're dressed identically. They're both wearing the same floral <laughs> shirt and beige slacks, <laughs> which is very amusing. The whole band is the whole band wearing the same thing, possibly, but they certainly are. Yes, Spike's, Spike's holding a, an orange balloon mm. as well. <laughs> can, I, can I say, I really, 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 really like the musical numbers. Really? Yes. I think they're just delightful. Okay. They do okay. feel like a completely different programme, I'll give you that. Okay. Um, it, it suddenly becomes a children's programme because it becomes very gentle. Yeah. Spike becomes very gentle. He's not this slightly nightmarish out of control gurning whirling dervish of ticks and manic energy he becomes very gentle he says nice things about ed and i did laugh when he called he called the band ed's wife and two children even though it's two, <laughs> two other middle-aged men <laughs> but ed has a very gentle face and he has a very it gentle does. demeanor about him and he makes spike very gentle and he plays his, like the other, I forget the title of it, but one of the other ones was this instrumental, so would be Ed's own work, uh, which is this sort of slightly ragtime-ish, quite 70s shuffle. Mm. It's really soothing and calming. And I think it's 
the Q8, he does a song called Eleanor, which I think... Yes. Is that Spike or is this entirely Ed? But it's I about... think that's Ed. I get mm. the feeling that's I think Ed. It's about Ed's daughter. So yes. they, they put up these, these pictures of a little baby. Yes, And he's seen right. this really sweet, touching song about this girl called Eleanor. Mm -hmm. It's gorgeous. And it's completely, tonally out of whack with the rest of the program. <laughs> but it's a breather, at least. And it's not yeah. like... Um, it's not like some shows where you you get quite a cheesy uh, musical interlude, and it is you know some cheesy seventies band or singer doing a thing. It, it's it's quite lovely and sincere at the same time, yeah. which makes it even odder. But I like the the oddness of that that it just becomes this completely other thing for three minutes, and you get this this very nice looking man who doesn't seem to age over the course of the, the run of the series. He's still got his. His identical thinning blonde hair. He he looks quite like Tom Fogarty from Creedence Clearwater Revival. That's oh, quite a, a niche right. reference, though. I wouldn't I That's... wouldn't know what he looks like. I like some of their songs. Oh, and by the way, I definitely didn't fast forward through any of these songs. <laughs> Honestly, no, they, I think they might be my favourite bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Ed Ed's not in a certain. I mean, I haven't really heard any of his stuff outside of Nightmare and Blockbusters, but. Certainly, in a live context, he's not the strongest, almost accurate singer. Uh, right. And so the the song sort of worked better when it was the two of them singing together. Um, yeah, yeah. I did watch that there. one. Yeah. Mm. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I I really liked it. Oh, good. There we go. Yeah. So mm. we are now at what are we up to? We've had V. Oh, so he's from to... Oxford as well. Sorry, I just thought I'd throw that. Ed Welsh is is an Oxford lad. Ox still Ox around, still, still. I, I don't know if he's still around Oxford. I, I kind of, I looked up to see what he looked like now and wondered whether he might be a regular at my shop. But he didn't look familiar. Well, he looked. He was ageless during the Q series. He probably mm. still looks the same now. He, he, he doesn't look old. Yeah, he kind of has a beard. And, yeah, <laughs> but he doesn't look ancient. Okay, doke. So W. What do you think W stands for? Um, that we haven't discussed already. Possibly one of Milligan's biggest, if not the biggest, preoccupation uh -oh. in his life. Mm. The war. Oh, of course it is. Mm. Um, and there's quite a few bits and pieces in the shows that we watched that are war-related. Or... Did we get any Hitler? I can't remember much. We, well, we did right at the end. I was a bit worried because we... we cause right up to Q9, we hadn't seen any Hitler. Mm. But then Q9, the craft sketch... Oh yeah, spikes. Are, spikes doing his usual tramp with the the knotted rope and cap and that, but he's got mm. like a Hitler moustache over his normal white moustache <laughs> or beard. Um, but also, um, a little later in that episode, you see Bob Todd as Hitler. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, um, I suppose if you've been through World War Two, then it's going to stick with you. It's it certainly be, does, and be... um, and he'd had huge success, of course, with the but certainly by by the time of you know, uh, uh, Q Q six seven eight nine. He he'd have huge success with his first couple of, or certainly first couple of war memoirs. Mm. The war was you know um, uh, fruitful material for for gags. Um, you got the Q five custom sketch with Neil Shand, um, and Spike is this uh, uncooperative airline passenger refusing to open a suitcase. Um, 
and he says it's got World War Two in it. That's quite a goon show idea, isn't it? it? Is. There's a few things that are quite good. I mean, there's there's at least one thing that was actually from a goon show. There was the sketch where somebody has to drink a lake. Yes. Like, where did he get that idea from? Yes, indeed. That was probably the worst sketch. Not for that reason. The one with the Welsh. Yeah, soldiers. it was the Welsh Liberation Army, or whatever they That's were. That's right. That mm. was that was the least. That was the Free Welsh Army. Mm. Yes, that's right. Um, because I think it was relying too much. Sorry, I've slightly, I've slightly diverted. I think it was relying too much just on Welsh people. Uh, it's a funny accent, and they have leaks. And that's the entire joke for a good <laughs> five or six minutes. And they then throw, there's some racist stuff as well. <laughs> yeah, they throw leaks violently at Spike Milligan. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it, it never lands that sketch. That's just that's a pain. That's painful. That one. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the war. Yes, yeah, sorry. Bermuda Triangle sketch when <laughs> Spike and Rita Webb are on an airplane to Bermuda. You of have course, John. Yes. I think John Bluth was a U-boat commander. Hey, Tommy Atkins. Tommy Atkins. Tommy Atkins. Why you have to go so far from England for your disasters? Well, you see, we don't get the sun with our disasters. <laughs> when you pull them out, they're all white and pasty. But overseas, like my brother, Lord Rothermere, he was run over by a tram in Argentina, and when they dragged him out, he was lovely and brown. <laughs> Beautiful brown colour, lovely all over, except when the wheels went, of course, yes. <laughs> hey, don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> the truth is I never met you. What other TV show could you smile a song and a load of crappy jokes? <laughs> but look here! You have better disasters in England! Like what? Leylands! <laughs> Leylands? Why? Do you drive one? When they make one, I'll drive one! <laughs> but I mean, overall, again, in the, the episodes that we watched, um, Maybe not that representative of the sheer weight of war references in mm. the Q series. Um, yeah, the Naffy sketch, of course. I yes. suppose. Uh, it, it felt less war-y than the Goon Show. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah. And pr- probably with good reason, because that's 20 years closer to the war. Mm. Yeah, but but of course, as, as we always say, you know, um, Spike... Uh, wasted no opportunity to dress up as Hitler mm. whenever possible. We just didn't really see it in the shows that we watched. So X, this is <laughs> really leading on this, sorry. X stands for Extremely Troubling Racial Depictions. And there, there certainly are plenty of those. Yes. So um, Not just that, it... I mean, also racist language. Yeah, I mean, there's not the, the, there's not the worst word. Let's face it, but there's a lot there's of a word um, beginning with W that he throws around with abandon. Yeah, lots of blackface, as we've mm. already alluded to. Bob Todd as the vicar, John Bluthel. When you pause the tele, when you pause the um, yes. the DVD, mm. uh, Keith Smith as well as blackface. Yeah, I think they all have a go, don't they? Pretty much they do. Um, uh, you've got the Arabs buying up London, as we said earlier. Mm. Um, oh, the 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 get that cabaret. You know the Jehovah's Witness sketch, and then there's the cabaret with um, Grotty Thing, the Chinese magician. Oh yes, and he's and he comes. He's in this box with the knives going in, and Julia Brett banging them in, and then 
he comes out, Spike comes out, and he's got this sort of Fu Manchu whiskers, and it does this terrible, mm. terrible Chinese accent and awful. There's also uh, the um, the guardsman sketch. There's the over-enthusiastic Japanese tourist. Yes, well, that's always been a... That's that's always... I mean, this this thing about Japanese tourists photographing everything, that I didn't realise it sort of went right back to the... Mind you, this is 1980 Q9, isn't that's it? That's true, actually, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Definitely, it was a comedy staple in the 80s, at least, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's frequent use of the W word. Mm. To the extent that it kind of... It was just... It, it, it kind of lost its... Because it, he applied that word to any... Minority, ethnic minority, mm. if you know what I mean, or, yes. or or race. It didn't. It wasn't just one race. It was just any anyone who wasn't, you know, <laughs> British, more <laughs> or less. Yes, he is. I mean, I think. I mean, none of it. I think was out and out malicious in the way that a lot of comedy of that era was. It's it's entirely just silly. Which is not to excuse it, and I think, like often, the excuse will be made for people like Spike uh, that uh, that he's a he's an equal opportunities offender that he will offend everyone equally, which is fine. Except I think that argument doesn't quite hold up because it's not a level playing field, particularly in the seventies, when you know offending a stodgy white husband who's a bit under the thumb is quite different from making jokes about ethnic minorities in the kind of atmosphere you had in the, the 70s yeah so uh it, yes it, most of the portrayals weren't very sympathetic they were just very very pantomime but but yeah really didn't really didn't travel well down the years you know we're not we're not clutching our pearls here and we're not trying to be um too precious about these things and you know it, i always say this as well 40 years ago if i'd watched when i was watching the best of q video or well not 40 years ago 35 years ago 30 years ago a lot of these things kind of went over my head mm. or, or didn't they didn't make me cringe because it was kind of commonplace then mm. the world has changed for the better in many ways and for the worst in other ways, but the world has changed and um, it is, it is really uncomfortable. It's absolutely to. a product of its time, isn't it? And it's yeah. one of those things that like, I can watch it because it's a product of, of its time. If this was someone, if this was a YouTube video being made by someone now, you wouldn't yeah. watch it. Cause it's like, this is appalling. Yeah. <laughs> but because this was you know a TV show made and I'm not saying to a, uh, I say to my housemate Hillary because she came and watched the um, Michael Parkinson sketch with me, um, and I was I said to her because that, that that you know that is, is there much racist stuff in that, but it's certainly very high camp. Um, mm-hmm. And I was saying this, this stuff went out on prime time or you know slightly later than prime time, just mainstream British TV. This isn't like some weird cable show or anything like that. (laughs) This is just, this is broadcast to the masses. Um, So it's, it's TV of its time. And I think if you watch it, knowing it's of its time and, and, um, and it's very easy for me to say as a, as the most vanilla possible straight white bloke. So it's not really up for me to, uh, up 
up to me to say either way, but certainly from my perspective, I can watch it fine knowing it's a, a product of its time. And I can cringe, but it's I'm not going to throw the DVD in the bin or anything like that. No. But, no. but which which is not to say that other people shouldn't find it horrifying because it's that's not my not my place to say. But it's interesting to get Hillary's reaction. I hope she doesn't mind me talking about her on the podcast. She may well listen. Hello, mm. if you're listening. Hello, Hillary. But her reaction was uh, that apart from the racism and homophobia, it actually seemed like quite a lot of bad modern comedy. Um, I didn't, I, neither of us could quite work out what she was referring to. Um, right. But but she didn't seem, she wasn't like horrified by it or anything like that. Yeah. It's just like, this is old TV rather than like, this is the most appalling thing I've ever seen and should be destroyed. <laughs> it is, um, yes, it was just like, this is, this is old TV and we don't do it now, but it's, um, it's of, it's of, it's of, it's of its time. Yeah. It's of, it's, it's, but it's, it's of historical interest. That's it. Yeah. It's, mm. it's, yeah. Yeah. I think it's slightly over this idea that like younger people now, uh, because Hillary's in her early thirties, younger people now are just so woke about everything that they want to dis destroy anything that doesn't conform to modern sensibilities. I think that's mainly, reactionary nonsense i think most yeah. people can yep. can um you know ad adapt their perspective knowing that yeah this is from 30 40 years ago 50 years ago and this is the way they did things then and we don't do it now but you know and, and i think it's also fine to criticize something that was made 40 years ago as we have been doing mercilessly yeah well it's also you can, you can do both at the same time you can criticize something and also understand that it's from a long time ago what what's that um what's that line in um the go between um the past is a foreign country yes yeah certainly the 70s <laughs> yeah. okay all right mm. well i think we've covered that I um think we've covered that. Mm. okay so we're up to why we're getting getting mm. close to the end folks uh, <clears throat> why is for young ones not the nine o'clock news and an altered comedy landscape mm. Uh, by the time Q9 began in 1980, the comedy landscape was significantly different from when Q5 had begun in 69. Uh, Not the Nine O'Clock News was huge, and its second series had just ended the month before. Um, and the young ones began the month after There's a Lot of It About finished in 1982. Oh. Um yeah, so when Q began, it was, you know, incredibly fresh, innovative, groundbreaking, and pre-Python. And I guess it's fair to say by the time it finished, if you if you class, particularly there's a lot of it about as the end of Q, it was creaky, there was occasional flashes of brilliance, mm. but it was still leaning heavily on, on, as we said, outdated racial stereotypes and birds with big bristles, I suppose. Yeah, which seemed to have happened. Obviously, the most famous example is Benny Hill, where like I've never seen any of the Benny Hill, the sixties Benny Hill, but I hear that it's oh, it's very, very good. In, some of it. Yeah, I hear it's very innovative, innovative, mm. innovative. That's never yeah, yeah. a word I can say very easily. But certainly, the Benny Hill I remember is just uh, ladies' boobs. They're hilarious. <laughs> uh, that's about it. <laughs> which you just can't get your head round. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so it seemed to happen a lot to a lot of people in that era that they seemed to lose their ideas and just fall back on the stock nonsense. Well, they must have looked aghast to some degree at not the nine. I think not the nine o'clock news certainly was a huge breath of fresh air mm. for British comedy at that time. Because um, it also, you know, Mel Smith, I know, was quite instrumental in initiating the kind of naturalistic style of acting in yes. a lot of the sketches. I think this is something I heard um, Joe Morris talk about. Oh, right. Um, uh, Mel Smith in particular, yeah, is, has a very naturalistic style and it's less sort yeah. of that Python review style projecting to the back row. Yes. Yeah. Um and so by by the time yeah so not 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 I can never say that not the nine o'clock news I think the first well the the pilot was a bit of a disaster the first series with Chris Langham mm. <laughs> was okay was fairly well received but then um, they uh, they got rid of Chris and uh, Griff stepped up into sort of the, the 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 fourth permanent cast member role and for series two and that was a huge hit and there was all those sort of spin off. LPs and books, um, and they were almost like rock stars at their height. Yes. Um, and all the while, while the, you know, while while this is happening, you've got Spike bringing out Q Nine and just plowing the same furrow as he had, mm. you know, for the last five or six years. I think if you watch something like The Young Ones next to the later Q series. Not there's a lot of it about. But they have quite a similar energy. There's a similar kind of grubby chaos, really sort of frenetic, frantic energy to them. And it, if, if anything, The Young Ones is the more sort of... It's more violent and more angry. And there's more abuse being ladled onto people in The Young Ones. But it has a... It has with, with the, the, um, the benefit of distance where like TV production look and aesthetic have kind of concertinaed up mm. so that Q and the younger ones look quite like just, just aesthetically look like each other yep. compared to the TV we have now and energy. Yes. They have a similar energy to them and they're similarly chaotic and grimy, even if politically they're coming from quite different angles. But I think if Spike had not been so cranky, he could have enjoyed some of those shows. Oh, he hated the young ones. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's just him feeling like he's being edged out. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yes. So, Adam, we have almost reached the end of this mammoth A to Z of the queue. <laughs> um, but we still have Z to go. Yes. So, what could what 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 could Z be? Do you think? Well, I wonder if it's anything to do with the zoos. It is. Z is for the zoo sketch, which is the elephant in the room. The quite literal. Quite literally. Um, in the room. In the room, because it's a sketch we haven't uh, mentioned at all so far. But it will be of particular interest to listeners of this podcast because it is a sketch that features a guest artiste, although you don't see him, do you? Voice over only, because he's inside the elephant. Yes, yeah, so just to set the scene, it's from Q5, so it's 69. And you have Spike, who plays Alfie, who's a zookeeper. And purely he's... so the policeman, purely so the policeman can say, "What's it all about, Alfie?" <laughs> yeah. And um, Alfie is—he's—he's 
is he dusting the elephant? He is dusting. And it's the a real elephant. elephant. Yes. It's a real elephant mm. as well. And then you hear, you hear Harry Seacombe, um, mm. who's inside the elephant, and he's tr- he's asking for help. This is the this is the place. Uh, what's it all about, Alfie? Well, this bloke's got in here without paying. Oh, where is he? He's inside the elephant. Uh, would you mind repeating that, sir? Yeah, there's a bloke got in here, uh, got in here without paying. Where is he, sir? He's uh, inside the inside the elephant. <laughs> What's this for, then? I have reason to believe you're drunk in charge of an elephant. Oh, I apologise, Elf. You're not in drunk in charge of an elephant. <laughs> Are you back yet? What was The bloke inside the elephant. I say, hello. Listen, yes, listen. We've got a copper out here, so you watch it in there, mate. What do you want to go and do that for? Uh, excuse me, sir, it's a police constable here. I have reason to believe that you've got in here without pain. I just like a few particulars, sir. Look, all I want is this. Will somebody phone up Fortnum and Masons and tell them to collect my lawnmower as the axle is out of alignment? <clears throat> Can I have your name, please, sir? I'm not going to give it to you. Listen, don't mess around. You're inside one of our best elephants. I can't hear you. Hold it, then. How's that? <laughs> I think he's within the law, Elf. <laughs> I just, uh, i better go and get a search warrant, Elfie. All right, then. I'll keep my eye on him. I won't be long, Elfie. You're for it now, mate. And, uh, and, and we have, you know, uh, we have a few of these sort of scenes with the elephant and harry seek him inside the elephant we get the police police again at one point surrounding the elephant because mm-hmm. um somehow or other uh, harry seek is holding elfie the zookeeper inside the elephant as his hostage elfie hey, where are you elfie i mean the elephant he's holding me to oh, hostage. Uh, don't you come near here papa or i'll let him have it have what never mind what but there's a lot of it about. <laughs> well, don't go away, Alfie. I'll be here in a minute. And hurry up, mate. Hurry. And, um, and the police say uh, we've got we've got every exit covered. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so intriguing. I mean, I just wonder. You know, did Spike just phone Harry up and say, you know, have you got an hour? <laughs> Come yeah, and record I, some lines. I presume he wasn't available, but just decided, you know, he he wasn't physically available, so just jumped in a booth somewhere and oh maybe yeah recorded the sketch maybe yeah yeah. But it's, it, it's, it, the thing I found oddest about it is that I hadn't heard about it. Like I thought I would have heard that Harry Seacon was in a Spike Milligan sketch in an elephant. Yeah, inside an elephant. Well, funny enough, because there's an earlier uh, existing Q five episode, just a black and white. Uh, tally recording, which is on the DVD where Harry Seacombe is referenced. There's a courtroom scene. Um, I didn't watch it uh, to refresh my memory, but it's something to do with Harry Seacombe and liquid from memory. <laughs> um, so Seacombe, Seacombe was a was a, a recurring uh, motif in Q5, certainly. Mm. Um yeah, it's and quite nice of, to have that bit of continuity, isn't it? A bit of a callback. A bit of a callback to the goons. And speaking of the goons, I mean, you've already mentioned the drinking the lake to empty it mm. bit, which is obviously uh, 
harks back to the treasure in the lake. Um, you do get uh, Spike doing the Eccles voice a few times, mm-hmm. and um, and also the CD plates that the Arabs are yes, of course, using on the dustbins to um, escape uh, prosecution. Obviously, made me think of uh, the Goon Show, the case of the missing CD plates. Yes. Um, so there we are. So yeah, I, I just thought uh, you know Zed to uh, to round off this. Um, this list, Z for the zoo sketch, I thought was uh, nice to round it off with Harry. Speaking of the goon, I'm sorry, I'm going to drag it out slightly. That's Speaking right. of the goons, uh, I just wanted to sort of have one, th- I had one thought while I was watching it about the goons, is just how differently Spike's humour works visually than it does on the radio. Because hmm. to me, uh, and obviously a radio thing will work differently in each individual person's imagination. But to me, when I'm listening to the goons, despite the fact that it's chaotic and they talk about bits of string and shabbiness and people's knees fraying and all that kind of stuff, to me, it's quite a glossy thing. And it's in, in my mind's eye, it's in a sort of nice glossy black and white. And it's quite high budget. Yeah. Because they have all these big, you know, there's these big things. High concept ideas. So like, for example, the, you know, dr- drinking the lake through a hose. When you actually see it in queue, it's a really ordinary-looking lake and a really ordinary-looking garden hose. Yeah. But you see, but the whole thing is much cleaner and glossier in my imagination when it's on the Goon Show. And, yes, I know what you mean exactly. And, and I think yeah. it does bigger, bigger budget almost. Much bigger budget, yeah. So it's so I like the griminess, but it also it's less charming somehow. I like how cosy and clean and uh, glossy the Goon Show is by comparison. Possibly the jazz music also adds that layer of glossiness to it and and good old um, Ray Ellington and his crooner, crooner voice yep. adds that feel to it. But it, um, yeah, it sits very differently, Spike's humour in audio than it does it, in visual. It does, but he's also, he's accompanied by, well... <sighs> He's accompanied by two consummate professionals and very, very good comic performers in Sellers and Seekham, particularly Sellers. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, yeah, but then you've got Bluthal, you know. That's it, yeah. Bluthal. I think I think Sellers adds a adds a layer of gloss as well, doesn't he? Yes. Not yes. in everything he does. He's done some grimy, grotty things himself later on. But yeah, no, but he rarely gives a terrible performance. Hmm. Do you think, but like in like in the Muppets, for example, he, you wouldn't say he's a glossy presence in that. He's, oh no, he's no. he's definitely he's shabbing the place up a bit <laughs> in that. <laughs> but certainly in the Goons, he's he's adding a layer of of class to it. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Okay. Um. There's one. There's one last Q spike Q thing mm. that I'm not going to go into much detail about, but uh, it's completely unrelated. But um. Did, did do you do you know the story of Spike interviewing Van Morrison for Q magazine in 1989? I've heard of it. I haven't read it, but I've heard about it. Yeah, because Van was Van was Van, who's um, known as Mister Chuckle Trousers in the industry. <laughs> yeah, I um, love the song. Uh, which one is it? Um, but the, the one where the lyrics is he's laughing and a running and skipping and joking, whatever it is. Like, oh, um, uh, Brown Eyed Girl, is it? No? Brown Eyed Girl, yeah. Whatever yeah. the lyrics are, I'm laughing and a running and a skipping and a joking. I can, <laughs> like, it's the, it's the very things you can't imagine Van Morrison doing. <laughs> yeah, so, so Van, Van, I think Q Magazine had been pushing Van for an interview and he said, well, I'll only interview 
give you an interview if uh, I can choose the interviewer and I want Spike Milligan to do it. Wow. So they contacted Spike, who was living down in Rye, and he agreed. And this was this was 89. Hmm. And so um, I think Paul DeNoyer was with them, with Van. They were in a car. They drove down to Rye. And at one point, the car had to stop at a railway crossing as the barriers came down. Hmm. And the barriers were down for ages because, you know, I don't know, freight train or whatever. And um, Van got fed up waiting. <laughs> so he just got out of the car and stormed up, stomped off up the street in the opposite direction. Right. God knows where he thought he was going. But but then the barriers opened and the car had no choice but to drive off and cross over to the other side. And Van <laughs> saw this. He turned around, saw this and began making his way back. And just as he got about 10 feet away from the from the line, the barriers came down again. <laughs> and he was stuck on the other side. <laughs> By the time he gets to Milligan's, Van is in, a, is in a foul, filthy mood. And Spike greets him wearing a long, particularly long, phallic-shaped nose. And like an like oversized hat. And apparently this, this didn't even make... Um, Van crack a smile, you know. He was just, yeah. he was just in a shitty mood for the whole, I don't know, hour that he was with Spike. And at one point, Spike said to the pho- uh, said to the photographer, "He's a bit odd, isn't he?" <laughs> Which from Spike is saying something. Yes. I, I kind of, I have no sympathy for either of them, frankly. <laughs> I, I I relish just minor misfortunes befalling Van Morrison anyway, just because it's funny. And also Spike ending up with a interviewing someone who's really grumpy and difficult. It just feels like poetic justice, doesn't it? In a way. There's a story. I heard this on the Word podcast many, many years ago. Peter Gabriel had a some sort of festival, music festival, somewhere in, I don't know, southwest of England. Not quite sure where. Let's let's just say sort of Somerset way, mm. and and apparently Gabriel had a big mansion or sizable house in the area. So after this festival, it was like I don't know a two day festival or something. Loads of different acts and bands and musicians had appeared, including Van Morrison. Mm. And at the end of the festival, Peter Gabriel was throwing a big party back at his back at his big house. And everyone was invited, including Van. And Van said, "No, no, no, I'm not. No, no, I'm not coming. I'm, go- I'm going back to the hotel or whatever, you know, with his with his usual good grace and his joy uh, de vivre." Yes, indeed. And anyway, so the, they all go back to Peter Gabriel's place, and uh, and uh, hijinks ensue, and, and drinks, and all the rest of it that you would expect. Okay. And anyway, Van Morrison obviously, after a couple of hours, decided, you know, well, oh, actually, I wouldn't mind a f- free sausage roll, and you know. Bit of, bit of booze or whatever. Stick. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he decided he would go to to this do. So he turns up at Peter Gabriel's front door, knocks on the door. Somebody opens it who doesn't know who Van Morrison is, and he turns around and shouts out, "Did anyone order a minicab?" <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure to... improved Van's mood immeasurably. I want a whole book of anecdotes about Van Morrison being insulted and inconvenient. <laughs> if ever I'm feeling low, I'll yeah. just dip into dip into my book. <laughs> well, there's a story I won't t- I won't touch on, which everyone knows about the um, the sack full of mouth organs. Well, I don't uh, know about that, but yeah, uh, 
I'll tell you another time. <laughs> another time. Yeah, we've yeah. been going on a while. We have been going on. And, and look, we, you know, the last thing before we wrap up, hmm. I would just like to share some thoughts from Mark Lewison, no less. Ooh. Because are you aware that Mark Lewison wrote a book that's very dear to my heart back in the 90s, late 90s, um, which was the, uh, was it, the Radio Times Guide to TV Comedy? Do you know about I, think I do know about that book. Yeah, I haven't read it. But right. I know, okay. I it's a, it's a brilliant book. It's got everything in it. You know, pre uh, pre internet, it was invaluable for someone like me. Okay. Um, but he 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 wrote a, about the Q series. Okay. And I'd just like to read you this 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 bit here because I I just think it's it's you know it sort of sums up the series quite well. Mm. Okay. Um, so he says although their importance within the development of the genre is recognised. The Q shows do not enjoy the same posthumous reverence among fans and critics that is reserved for Monty Python's Flying Circus. There are arguably three main reasons for this. Firstly, the Q shows were comedically less consistent, with moments of genius squeezed in between bouts of charmless corn. Hmm. <laughs> this was probably because Milligan himself, with Shand, did the bulk of the writing, and his own idiosyncratic flights of fancy could be hit and miss whereas the Pythons all wrote, the members exercising a kind of quality control mechanism over the other's writing, ensuring that flimsy material was rejected. Uh, secondly, there's the question of taste. Milligan's rather old-fashioned shock value usage of racial jokes and sexual situations were acceptable in the climate of the 1970s, but don't age as well as the Pythons' shock material, such as homosexual brigadiers and cannibal undertakers where authority figures bear the brunt of the humour. Mm. And lastly, there is the construction of the programmes. Whereas both Q and Python had almost limitless freedom to leave a sketch at any point and play with the reality of the show and the genre of television, Terry Gilliam's brilliant animations permitted Python to effect seamless transitions from one sketch to the next, which, when coupled with the Python's faultless sense of programme continuity, gave their shows a greater all-round balance. That's true. That's very well said. Uh, mm. It is very tempting to compare it to Python, and with good reason it's tempting to compare it to Python. But I think if you compare Q to other sketch shows from the time and from the 80s, it stands up really well, because mm. a lot of sketch... So certainly ones I've seen... I, mean, I haven't I haven't seen all of them, but the, the sketch shows I, I watched quite recently, Cannon and Ball, which is a bit later. Mm. And I have a lot of affection for Cannon and Ball as, as comics and as like cultural figures, pop culture figures. But the actual sketches themselves, they they run with the most obvious idea often. A lot of these sketch sketches, and, and the earlier ones, the 70s ones, will tend to have the girls with big boobs and the you know, the racist overtones and the homophobic language, but they also won't have the level of invention or the level of sheer frenetic pace and throwing as much at the wall as possible. I think this is what Spike is quite good at, is just throwing everything at the wall and some of it will stick, some of it won't. Yeah, um, I'd agree with that. And so I think it, it it's a, it, it's unfortunate for Q that python is the one that is the sketch show from that era that is best remembered because it doesn't stack up i think actually q maybe 
funnier, although it's that's possibly because I'm more familiar with Python, so I'm less likely to laugh at sketches yeah. that I'm familiar with. So, but but it has better gags. But certainly, if you compare it to other sketch shows of that era, a lot of them are a lot slower and a lot less dense and energetic and creative. Uh, so. I actually think it does stand up really well if you if you look at it in that light rather than necessarily only as a you know the next the next nearest thing to Python. The Radio Times call this show Q7, aren't they clever? Incidentally, you know, recently the Guardian uh, raised its price to 15p, and that took it out of the fish shops and onto the smoked salmon counter at Harrods. <laughs> Harrods, the new name is Harrods. By the way, uh, uh, recently from the Guardian they quoted a thing. They said, uh, "What's it? Q7, oddball comedy show." Yes, folks, it's the oddball comedy show, and you have to guess which one of us has it. <laughs> we watched five, just five episodes mm. for this, and I would say half the time I was, if not laughing out loud, I was chuckling. Mm. I think so. I, I, think, I, I bought the DVD. Uh, oh, did you? Yes, and I'm going to watch the rest of them. So it's not just going to sit on the shelf from now on. I'm actually going to. I am actually at some point going to watch the rest of them. So I think that's that's a recommendation. There you go. Mm. Yeah, the DVD. How much did it cost you? It cost me eleven pounds, but I bought it at work, so I had staff discount. Oh, eleven pounds <laughs> though. Eleven pounds for fifteen hours plus of content. Exactly. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well. Adam, it's it's been a it's been a mammoth. It has, but it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for it has been. Thank mm. you very much. And um uh a lot going on in your world. Um do you want to give a little sort of hint as to what's coming up? Yeah, so well, normally and I say normally we haven't done one since March, uh, but normally I do the RetroTube Archive TV podcast with my best friend Heather which is looking at TV from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and we discuss it between us. So we pick one each. We have very different tastes. So Heather is very into glossy 60s shows with spies and marionettes, yeah, Thunderbirds, and that sort of thing. Whereas I like the the weird, creepy, ontological, strange, murky TV shows of the <laughs> 70s and 80s. So, mm. so we, we have quite a good split and we introduce each other to our... Uh, you know, shows that we grew up with and shows that we really like. So the last one we did was Moondial, uh, but we've done the yeah, we've done Thunderbirds and Man in a Suitcase. We've done the Adventure Game and all sorts. We've we've got quite a few uh, episodes in the can now. So that's that's RetroTube. I'll repeat that. That's RetroTube. RetroTube. Uh, but I also have, uh, and this is an ineffective plug because it's not happening till May. Uh, it's bad timing on that front. But I'm uh, I am having a novel published actually properly published and not just being photocopied by me and stuck together with sellotape uh, published by an actual publisher brilliant and so hopefully we'll be in all good bookshops uh it will be called um i don't know if i should say the title i won't say the title because i don't say the know title. how secretive it should be but it's it's a um keep an air of mystery yeah it's it's a um literary magical realist folk horror story so Brilliant. That will, be, that will hopefully all be on schedule coming out in May next year. And not soon after, I'm sure that Netflix will option the rights to uh, turn it into a series. They'd better. And, uh, and you will buy a solid gold house. <laughs> or a Netflix <laughs> subscription so I can watch it. <laughs> 
thank you. Mm, thank course, you very much. As yeah. always. Mm. Uh, and um, and don't be a stranger. Come back again sometime soon and talk I about shall. something I'll come else. come back in May. Come back in it's May. Just by coincidence. Yes. And and we'll be talking about magical realism, um, folk horror, yes. uh, literature. Mm. Um, and somehow shoehorning a goon connection into that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, mate. Well, great to speak with you. And, yes, um, you do. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Please check out the back catalogue. There's 100 and God knows how many now. 120 plus, I think shows in the archive and um they're all crackers and uh, please rate and review I what you're gonna say then <laughs> uh, please rate and review uh, in on apple podcasts and spotify and all, all those places as well because that really does help the show's profile and i will be back next week with a new guest um not sure what it will be yet but uh, i'm sure that it will be uh, better than this one <laughs> Any joking? I think this one's been great. Yay! Cheerio! Cheerio! Mile after mile, he galloped in style, but never once left the ground. You're running too slow, said a passing crow. Try reaching the speed of sound. Reaching the speed of sound. So he put on a spurt. By God, how it hurt, the soles of his feet caught on fire. There were great clouds of steam as he raced through the street, but he still didn't get any higher, still didn't get any higher.